to Across the Margin, the podcast. My name is Michael Shields. I'm your host, and i got a great episode for you today. And it's a great episode because we have a great guest with us. His name is Eric Rasmussen, and he is the editor-in-chief at uh, At Large Magazine, an awesome uh, men's fashion and art and culture travel magazine. Um, he's the former deputy editor at Man of the World. He's currently working on um, a collection of short stories with the incredibly talented poet and writer Chris Campagnoni, and his second novel uh, entitled Recess for Idiots. Can't wait for that one. His first novel is called A Diet of Worms, and it's a work of fiction I find remarkable, and um, one Eric and I are going to discuss at length here today. It's a coming-of-age story that touches on a bevy of poignant themes, exploring complex ideas involving religion, sexuality, class divide, and the idiosyncrasies of human nature altogether. Here, um, here's the book's pitch. It's a few years ago, Larry Mor- Morvan lost his best friend, his girlfriend, his virginity, and his father during a three-day field trip. Now, on the eve of his 17th birthday, he's got a confession to make. Larry is an underachiever, searching for a hero among the ruins of his Long Island hometown as his daddy slowly dies. When his knack for drawing earns him a nomination to an exclusive academic field trip, Larry clashes with the real and imagined life-and-death oaths and betrayal. One night, sneaking into a mountain forest with his redhead crush and a trio of anarchist counselors, Larry's sucked into a strange seam separating perception from reality. Unhinged, his journey leads to carnal transformation and a reckoning. Um, It's a great book. I absolutely love it. Um, so in our conversation, we, uh, kind of, you know, we, 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 we go well beyond the book. We discuss the art and challenges of writing fiction. We do di- you know, dig into the weighty themes present in the book, um, expound upon Eric's influences, his stylistic choices, and, and just a whole lot more. It's a f- real fun conversation. I think you'll dig the interview. And I think, I think after you hear it, you'll be, um, if you haven't read the book, um, you'll be compelled to go out and grab it as a choice. I guarantee You will not regret, before we dig in, a reminder that ATM, the podcast, is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting people with conversation, commentary, and live events. Check out OsirisPod.com for more podcasts and just awesome uh, content. It's a, you know, being part of, um, you know, what I would call a cool media group, it also, uh, you end up um, kind of doing some reads for some cool sponsors. They um, they connected recently with CBD Vermont. Um, it's a uh, all Vermont triple made, um, triple tested uh, CBD products. CBD Vermont produced the finest full spectrum organically grown extracts. It's an uh, 
awesome company that partners with organic farms throughout Vermont. Head to cbdvermont.com to learn more. And uh, that's where you can order the products there as well. So um, another thing, another partnership they had going was uh, with TalkHouse. And it's it's actually one of my um, favorite podcasts. It's been for a while when they connected. It made me really, really happy. Um, what they do with TalkHouse podcast, they... They get two artists, two very well-known artists, either musicians or comedians or you know just arts of any kind, authors, and put them together. And, and those conversations are pretty, pretty amazing. I just listened to a cool one with Jeff Tweedy from um, Wilco and Abby Jacobson from Broad City, um, and it was like a perfect pairing because you know uh, Wilk, uh, Jeff Tweedy actually has uh, an affinity for co- uh, comedy. And then, you know, Abby obviously loves music. And so their worlds um, intermingled more than I would have imagined. They both put out a book and they talked uh, recently. It's, they're not natural writers. Their foray in art is in, um, you know, whether music or comedy. But so they talked about the challenges of writing. It was just, it's an awesome conversation. A lot, really, really funny too. So check out Talk House. Um, all right, let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Eric Rasmussen. Yeah, so I've been to um, I've been to a bunch of your uh, readings, and um, and probably more than more than you know. Not that I'm stalking you. I'm uh, good friends with Chris Campagnoni, who you do a lot of work with, and yes. uh, and that's why I came upon you know Diet of uh, Worms, and you know ended up reading it. It's fantastic, and so I'm, I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Um, I actually haven't haven't thought about a Diet of Worms in a, in a oh, while, so it'll be interesting to see what. What comes back? Yeah, that. what comes back? So, what I remember of you know things, yeah. things things change. It's like going back to an old neighborhood. Everything's yeah. familiar, but it's all different. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things too. It's fun to look at, go back and read things with new eyes, and just I mean, analyze it here now sure. with new uh, with a new Insights. mindset on it. Um, first up, let's just say, uh, let's tell the listeners a little bit about At Large Magazine because you're the okay. editor in chief of At Large Magazine. Yeah. I think that's an easy way, an entrance point to for people to see what you do. Yeah, At Large Magazine. It started off as a quarterly, mm-hmm. um, but the workload is enormous, yeah. and I'm sure people might be surprised to find out there's very little money in print magazines. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> we we went to it. It's a biannual magazine now. Um, it's a men's magazine. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a men's. Fashion, but with a focus on art and travel yeah, and yeah. sports. Targets and speaks to a generation of social-minded men with far-reaching interests who particularly value visual art, travel, and fashion. Is that what I saw? Um, yeah, why don't you talk to Yeah, them? absolutely. Talk to no, but it's also, it exists online as well, right? I mean, it's... You, you it is, yeah. We're, we're at the moment sort of redoing the... Um, the, the the website, it's, it, it was hard to translate. We, we, we sort of approach each issue as if we're making an art book. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. The printing is, is high level. We Absolutely. use all you know, the really top-notch uh, artists that we have a lot of respect for, guys that mm-hmm. we want to work with, yep. people who are really on top of their game. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, that tra- that, their visual work translates best in, in, in print, printed yeah, matter, no actual physical matter. So we sort of approach the magazine in the same way, and mm-hmm. it's hard to translate that experience, especially tactile, physical, haptic, sort of the, the experience of having a magazine in yeah. your hands, um, to you know a mobile platform, which yeah. most people look at these things on, on, on their phones. On yeah, their absolutely. Phones. We're looking at smaller tablets. Or yeah, so phones. it's, it's yeah. really difficult. And when you put that much effort into, um, into a printed experience and then, and then um, trying to... It also is so time consuming and then to yeah. sit down and go, okay, now I'm going to upload this onto the internet. Yeah, yeah. It's also a little bit not motivating. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely understand yeah. that. Well, it's great. Yeah, Art is fantastic. What was the, Thank you. Where, where, um, where did they pick it up? 
Um, in, in New York, if you're in New York, you could you could pick it up all the iconic stores. Yeah. Um, and then we sort of deliver to uh, specialty stores throughout the country that we that we picked and cool. groomed. We used to have a distributor. Oh yeah. Um, but we found, you know, those small specialty stores that mm-hmm. no one knows about. Like mm-hmm. there'll be one in Indiana. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah like yeah. that. There are very few people, uh, maybe in that in that area that can find something that speaks to them that way. It might be Absolutely. a GQ magazine or something like sure. that. So when they get when they get like an at large, uh, it speaks to them in a different way. It's hard for them to, to get it from, from from these larger distributed magazines yeah. that speak to a more general crowd or more specific. So we we've gone out and we put a lot of time into finding our audience and, and targeting our audience. That's awesome. Cool. Cool. So it's out online as well. You can yeah, you can find it online. It's at yeah. atlargemagazine.com. Great. Um, the new stuff isn't up yet, but maybe by the time it hits the web. Cool. Yeah. So I want to get into Diet of Worms. It's, um, cool. As I said, I loved it. And um, I've actually read it twice. I, yeah, I wanted to refresh myself uh, for this one. It's, it's just, it reads so good. Um, when did you write this? It was released last year, 2018. It was right? released, yeah, almost a year ago today. Okay. Um, wow. This is the anniversary. Yeah, the anniversary uh, June, June 25th. Oh, wow. um, I, I actually wrote it a long time ago. Oh wow. I wrote it, I think, in 2012, mm-hmm. um, and then it sat on a shelf for a while. I wrote it, um, and then not having any, you know, contacts in the publishing world, and I'm mm-hmm. talking to other writers, and yeah. I didn't really know how how the industry worked. I knew I wanted to write, how yeah. it was written, mm-hmm. and so I wrote this book, and I slid it, you know, on my shelf between between great books, yeah. <laughs> between and, the classics, and there it sat, you know, sort of collecting dust until yeah. um, until my girlfriend current girlfriend found it and sort of read it without letting me know oh wow and said you know oh, the acknowledgements yes go on do yeah. something with yeah. this yeah. yeah so I went and I went and um, showed it to John Gosley who you've, yep. you've had on the, yeah, on he's the been podcast on, yep. and Absolutely. Andrew the guys at CNR Press mm-hmm. and um, they said they loved it yeah I believe them yeah uh, and so they published it yeah Fantastic. Yeah. That's that's kind of wild how it sat there. Were you not believing in it or just like no I believed in it very much okay. I mean it's one of those things that got me through a lot of dark times okay yeah. Proceeding six years while it was sitting on the shelf and being published, it was always one of those things that, as sort of bogged down as dark as life could get, because I went through, you know, I went through some dark times, yeah, and yeah. that was one of those things that sort of buoyed me and sort of like wow. kept me, yeah. and I'd say, well, at least I did that. I'd always said I was going to write this book. I did it. I can point to it and say yep. it's right there. That was exactly. the achievement. Absolutely. And um, it, it, it got me through some times, and I felt like, even though I'd grown, and if I, I wanted to write a new book, mm-hmm. I wanted to write more, mm-hmm. uh, my taste had changed, the ideas I had, my syntax, I mean, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And I, so I was kind of like outgrew the book, but I felt I really owed it to that to period of time. For, for being so that, good to me yeah, for so long. For the catharsis, for what it did to you, yeah. Yeah, I needed to be a good shepherd, and I needed to say, you know what, You've, you, know, you, you did me a service, and I'll try to get you out there. Yeah. So the inspiration of writing, uh, behind writing this, I mean, so this is, it comes from an adolescent point of view, which I find uh, fascinating and, and really, really cool. And it's amazing how much insight is gained from, from that point of view. But what, um, what was the decision in writing from that? Were you reconciling with, with things from your youth or? Yeah, I mean, a, a, lot, of this, a lot of this book, I mean, what did Bukowski say? That fiction is, a, is an embellishment on, on truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the stuff... Uh, that takes place in this book, I think is is experiences that we all have. Yeah. You know, everyone went on that it's, trip. It's, it's entirely relatable. Yeah. I mean. um, and I'm, I'm, I think I was probably, um, you know what, I'm not really sure if I was trying to reconcile anything. Okay. Um, I think I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to tell a story. I wanted yeah. to tell a simple story mm-hmm. and starting with an adolescent voice, it seemed a shortcut and especially using the first person narrative. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of seemed the best way 
to tell a simple story, which turned out to not be true. Yeah, I was, um, was going to say, I mean, I, you say shortcut, but I find it would be challenging to craft and maintain that voice yeah. and, as you did so consistently throughout. But what it, what I think, especially writing in first person does, it, and more so writing as, a, as an adolescent, mm-hmm. it allows you to create tension by misunderstanding uh, scenarios yeah. and people. Yeah. Yeah? So when you write in third person, which I'm doing now and I'm learning this is mm-hmm. really difficult. Yep. If I if you know all the characters' motivations, what they're thinking, there's no misunderstanding, so to build drama is a little bit more yeah. difficult. Yeah. Or can or be. pointed, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes writing first person in an adolescent, you can you don't understand anything. Totally. Almost. Everything is in so constant. They're trying conflict. to piece together the world. So it doesn't and matter. So you're on that journey with them to piece together sort of, the world. And I, I feel like that's sort of with that sort of power comes yeah. from. Yeah. It was so cool. I mean, uh, it was I mean, it's as high praise and I mean it, but I mean, was Salinger someone you thought of? I mean, I can't help but think of, it's just that viewpoint and just kind of some of the, I don't know, precocious or uh, uh, sardonic at times, but it's also genuine. Except I think uh, um, the Holden Caulfield is a lot smarter. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, probably less ambitious as driving forces are different, but obviously... Um, uh, there are similarities. I mean, they're young kids navigating yeah. a sort of an adult world. There are some very adult topics and themes Absolutely. throughout this Yeah, world. don't discount Larry, too, though. Yeah. Larry knew some stuff. <laughs> Larry knew some stuff, yeah. and he went through some, some stuff as well. And also, as I think as the, the title sort of pretends, A Diet of Worms um, has a lot of religious undertones to it. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask about what, uh, what are some of the themes that you were looking to address when you wrote it? Obviously, God and religion uh, comes up a bunch. His mother is deeply religious. There's a that like poignant campfire scene where they're really getting into you know what God is there's yeah. talk about the soul what the soul is yeah. they touch on a lot of things I think he's just trying to which is what fiction is doing I think he's just trying to find like an emotional truth mm-hmm. you know and, and and I think that's really all the best that can be asked of it yeah absolutely yeah um yeah, you know what you know what I was thinking about when I was reading it and I don't know if this was by design and you know I'm not sure uh, how much you can revisit the process, but it seems like each uh, chapter can really stand on its own. Um, is that something that was done? Were we doing it piece by piece? Yeah, so when, when the... it, it, it certainly was. I think when, so I've had, uh, uh, I haven't been compared to J.D. Sound with the book <laughs> and the voice. I think so, I just did it. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it comes up sometimes, and, and he, it wasn't something I was thinking about at the time. In fact, what I was thinking more about, or I was more under the influence of, was uh, Twain. Yeah. And, um, okay. Huckleberry Finn. Oh, cool. And when you read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, every chapter is a short story. Yeah. Right? It just yeah. builds from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and each chapter also becomes a sort of relatable event, so you can go back and, and, and sort of visit it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like an environment no that doubt. they... Yeah. So I, I... That was... I think I was even reading uh, Huckleberry Finn at, at the, the time. time. Yeah. And was hoping that it wasn't... Coming off just like I was just totally plagiarizing yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, but luckily that's. I mean, I don't know if it's. I've, I've either utterly failed and nobody's ever compared it to Oliver yeah. Fan yeah. or Mark Twain, um, or I did a really good job in covering my or, or ch- channel. <laughs> yeah, dusting off behind you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was I gonna uh, go towards? I mean, it's interesting. I didn't want to dive too much into the to the, to the deeper parts, but let's just get into it. I mean, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of hurt in this book. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a uh, you know, a boy it, at the core of it is a, is a boy dealing with uh, a, you know a parent who's dying and who eventually dies. I mean, I was um, in. I mean, you really have to walk through with 
uh, Larry in, as he goes through this all. I mean, how, how was that kind of creating that and, and, and how intense was that? It was intense because the father figure in this book is really drawn from my true father. Okay. Right, my own personal daddy is. Yeah. So oh, is it really? Okay. As Foster Wallace would say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, my father's alive and kicking. He's a okay. great guy. Um, but well, growing up, there were times where he really, you know, he was, I don't even think he would disagree with this, but he, he could be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's true story is that he's had like a real redemption process. He's a great guy now. Oh, well, cool. Um, uh, a lot of boomers came around. A lot of boomers came around. Mm-hmm. And also, his dad was far worse than he was, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, there, there, there's something, you know, something uh, almost cinematic about it. You mm-hmm. know, there, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a narrative, just for, a generational narrative there, yeah. that it moves from like these terrible people becoming better within their own times, and then eventually sort of breaking through in their, into their own children, being redeemed through their own children. And I think maybe if I was working through something with that father character, it might be sort of redeeming, yeah. you know, my own dad, without without it becoming like a, a sort of biographical thing. Totally. Um, and so when we know what happens to the father, I mean, it's stated pretty clearly right, yeah, right exactly. away that he yeah, dies, everybody knows, yeah. um, that I think you, you learn that Larry, and what he might have in common with Holden Caulfield, is that he was a, a bit of a brat, Yeah. you know what I mean, mm-hmm. With, mm-hmm. With didn't really appreciate his father and sort of it's it's that it's that part of the narrative where he's a uh, not that he can't be trusted as a storyteller but he's inaccurate and yeah. I think you know he's telling the story in first person mm-hmm. so as he's telling these things about his dad what a, what a sort of jerk he was yeah. once the father dies I think you realize that that was his edited version of his father yep. and that even you know horrible people have yeah. redeeming qualities yeah, and obviously at the moment when he finds out his father dies I think his reaction is pretty clear telling that there was far more to his father's story absolutely also him. the reaction to everyone in his father's world he was a beloved man he was everyone loved him which everyone, I always everyone loved him except for Larry yeah that I thought gave a whole another la- la- layer to it which was really really interesting because you do I mean you think about the entire time he's like my dad's an asshole my dad's an asshole and you would you know see other people reacting to him or things his father was doing or also his yeah. dad's having a hard time his dad's dying right. you know? but the difference between Larry and everybody else who loved him is that you know Larry and it's clear how much he keeps talking and going back and talking about his father how much he needed him yeah. and his reaction when his father has died is daddy don't leave me yeah right, yeah. Yeah, right away Absolutely. Yeah. I was surprised by that actually yeah um how you met, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, I want to ask to be a little more clear. How, like, how much of you is in this? I mean, was, did you have a religious background? Was, I did. I was. I was. Really, my mother. Are you from Long, you're from Long Island. I'm from Long Island. Yeah. My mom is, is is still a devout Christian. She's a she's she's a deacon in the church. Yes, um, I had a pretty serious religious upbringing, evangelical Lutheran upbringing. Um, I'm. You know, I'm, I'm actually reading the Bible again right now. Are you really? Yeah. Um, how, how is that going? Not to... it's, I'm only I'm, I'm in Exodus. I've okay. read it before, but I'm, yeah. I've become over the last ten years. Yeah, I've, I think I don't think I ever believed. Right. I think yeah. when I was in third grade, I remember being told about uh, uh, my my older cousin telling me about evolution and mm-hmm. how we get. I was going to religious schools in a second. Yeah, third grade, yeah. I went so. to Catholic school. Bible. Right. So yeah. I was basically yeah. taught sort of like creation. It's like, yeah. well, there's this idea in science, but like the real reason is like God touches yeah. me or whatever. Um, but I remember my cousin sort of saying like no what happened was these stars exploded in very very sort of parochial terms you know yeah. the stars exploded created dust and, yeah. and went through all these processes and we came out of that and I remember thinking what 
kind of a moron would believe that. Yeah, yeah that's, like, that that's so the fantasy. Stupid. That's the crazy part. Yeah. But there was this, this uh, what do you call it, like a cognitive dissonance where mm-hmm. I, I knew at least that was an explanation. Yeah. And just like the magic part of being like just bought up from dust and like God touching you and like you're suddenly alive, yeah. I was like, but that's not really an explanation. Yeah. You're just telling me something. Yep. Even though the story of the exploding stars seemed far more fictitious and unlikely, at least it was an explanation. Absolutely. And There's I've a why. Always, yeah. yeah, I always sort of look for that explanation. And, and it's unlike, unfortunately, unlike a lot of Christians, I've read the Bible. Yeah. I'm reading it again right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm curious. There's I want to no, circle back after. There are no explanations in there. And yep. there, there are not even any mention of how the they're, stars are formed. Anything that would be not useful. Tr- they're not even trying to, to no. go there, yeah. And you start to see that the God of the Old Testament, even of the New, only knows what people of the time knew. He doesn't reveal any new information. Uh, There's no, like, yeah. talk of an atom. There's no talk of, like, the world being around. Nothing. Where you're like, it just, it starts to sound so fictional. And mm-hmm. it's become much more fun to read now. Yeah. Especially Exodus. I mean, Exodus is, is horrible. Yeah. And you're like, Yeah, the Old Testament, ever, God, is really brutal. Nobody's going to create a character like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just can't. First of all, it wouldn't be believed. <laughs> no. Unless you had 6,000 years of tradition behind it. So <laughs> good luck creating all that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, those those experiences of becoming an atheist and, and, and probably just being born, as we all are, yeah. we have to be indoctrinated to believe the, you know, ancient texts, yep. such as wisdom mm-hmm. and ancient texts, and we're all tend to be the, the same religion our parents were, uh, and we just sort of take it on value as if, like, I have a card in my pocket that says my name and my address, yeah. and that's due to my parents, essentially, and, and therefore I'm also a Christian. You know, yeah, there's not yeah. really much more to it. It's, just, it's that, that kind of a fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, until you start getting, you know, getting into the, uh, getting into the pages. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, good fiction though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Except it, 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 it's, it needs a good edit. I mean, it's like repetitive and. Oh, is the writing? Yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly repetitive. I mean, yeah. it, it dwells on stuff like the no yeast stuff. You know, like, All right, I get it. No fucking <laughs> yeast, dude. Relax. Say it once. You know I mean? Yeah, say it once. Good. Um, yeah, you know, to kind of compound off what I was asking you in it. I mean, did you? Well, similar Long Island childhood. I mean, camp, the whole thing. I oh mean, yeah, I did it when I when I actually went to camp. Yeah, um, I was in sixth grade, but yeah. that doesn't work for the material that we're dealing with okay. here. So yeah. I had to put yeah. them in eighth grade. Up a little bit, um, yeah. and it just made more. It made more sense. I also like you know taking people out of their environments and putting them someplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Sort of the way I even now as I'm writing this 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 new book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way one of the, I'm, I'm sure all writers do this is I use people the way you know I. Painter uses colors, you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I've, I've met you. I know you now. You might end up as a character. I know what you sound like. I know what you look like. Yeah. Um, I might even use your name, but just hide a little mm-hmm. bit. And but as soon as you start writing about that person, it becomes fictitious. So I'll, I'll if I knew you better and I yeah. really knew how you reacted to scenarios, and I would just take you out of this apartment. I might put you in my own. Or I yeah. might put you in a park, and Kinda you know, a dog runs like up to you, and it's, it's this girl who maybe it's a girl that I know. I put mm-hmm. the two of you together. Mm-hmm. I know how you'd react. Yeah. Like I use real scenarios or yeah. real people at least I mean so it's but you know all the scenarios are fictitious yeah, yeah, and that's totally. where I think the fiction comes from but like to keep it real I know every one of these characters yeah. right yeah just like um, uh, Animal Farm mm-hmm. uh, what's his uh, 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 I don't know. are we two literary people that are blanking our last name right now yeah 
Uh, Orwell. Yeah. Um, yes. So he. I was picking he, up the phone. I was about to freak out. But he taught in some of his. You know, so, you want to read, read some of his old interviews, and he talks mm-hmm. about the farm animals, pig. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know piglet. I know yeah. these people. Okay. I mean, yeah. He's like, this is not that far fetched. He's like, yeah. I know every single. Watership Downs is a similar thing where he wrote all the uh, rabbits were just people he went to the army with. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The same you ever read Down and Out in Paris and London? No. No. Oh, no. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. But I mean, this similar is when he's thing. actually talking about people. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But it's like the experiences are so real, and you get details like the chefs in the French kitchen like dipping his thumb into the soup and tasting it and his thumb is like dirty and disgusting and dipping it back in over and you're just like and even like the discussions between like the 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 homeless in London these people who sleep in rough and talking about which people they find attractive Uh like a gorgeous high class woman that anybody else would think is beautiful to walk by they don't even see her she's she's invisible but it's like the the old nag down the street or whatever the one that's in clothes are in tatters she's missing a tooth and her hair is like like, they're like, this is the girl they like. Yeah. They can see her, they identify her, they know. Like, you can't make that shit up. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's I, I, Maybe he did. Yeah. But I wish I could. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that, that ability either. Um, and, uh, you might have just even answered my next question, because, I mean, you have a remarkable knack for dialect. And um, I was wondering if that's something you enjoy writing, or is that, I mean, what I'm I was saying. I love it. It's fraught now in the PCH. Um, I did traveling helps. I've, I've done a lot of traveling. Okay. I've, 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 I've somewhat learned. I've never been fluent in another language, yeah. but I, um, I've you know I've learned quite a bit of French and mm-hmm. quite a bit of Spanish. Uh, at least been conversational in both. Uh, lived in Europe, you know, traveled to oh, have you really? yeah. the States. Yeah. And I think, like in um, part of the introduction of Huckleberry Finn, mm-hmm. Twain talks about that. He's like, you might think that these are made up accents and words. He's like, all these people are distinct. I know yeah. them all. You know, and, and Twain did a lot of traveling himself. He knew these dialects. Um, so no, I, I again, it's the same people. I'll use their voice. I know what they'd say. I know exactly what their voice yeah. sounds like. Yeah. I know if they have a embrasures, you know, space between yeah. their teeth. So I know if they lisp. I know yeah. in this book I'm writing now, there's a character named Asim. Uh-huh. I know he has broken teeth. I know I know how he lisps. Yeah. I know what the words sound like yeah. coming out of his mouth. I say them as I'm writing it. You know, um, you can tell you enjoy it just hearing you say that right there. Yeah. I also, love I it. notice I when you read, you I mean, you go into character a little bit. Dude, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it helps with, you know, often where the sentences are constructed, constructed and what the syntax is, it doesn't make sense reading it like, like I'm a news Absolutely, character, yeah. Right? Yeah. It sounds completely yeah. phony. It would sound funny, yeah. Um, but it, it, it's getting a bit fraught now again. Part of what I'm writing about is where I grew up, so again I'm using my Huntington, but a fictitious mm-hmm. Huntington. I grew up in Huntington Station, Long Island. Yep. There's a very certain... Is a very specific, you know, type of people who live there. And in the '90s, which is part of the, the time I'm writing about, spoke a very uh, a specific way. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to write what they would say in certain situations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the there's something there's like an added value to it. You know, there's certain words you can't use, there's certain phrases you can't say, there's certain ways you don't really want to characterize people. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it's it's it's. It's fiction, or, or people may have said it this way, but you have to make a choice. I mean, fiction's all about choices, yep. and by, by choosing to say these things and include them, uh, sometimes I think that might get in the way of the actual reading. Yep. And this time, and, and you go, like, I've gone through this process of saying, but this is true. It did happen like this. And then I go, but I'm writing fiction, so I can choose not to use it. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a, there's a great construct that comes with this where you, where you sort of just rephrase what they say and use new inventive language, right? Um, so by putting sort of limits on yourself, um, I think you find a creative way to overcome those limits. 
Right, I always use the example of, uh, sorry if I'm getting too far. I want you to stop me right yeah, just Please um, go. The, the, the protest songs of the 60s yeah. versus Seager now. Seager. Yeah, uh, you know, there was a time when they wouldn't play your song on the radio if you said certain things. Or children's stories in the 1800s, right? Mm-hmm. It was all about, it was all sexualized stuff. Yeah. They couldn't actually say the sexy stuff, so yeah. they used like three masts, you know? They always use these things, and when you actually read them, you know they're talking about sex. Yeah. Um, and now, and they were very creative stories, mm-hmm. right? Almost deliriously so. Yeah. Um, and then in the 60s, you'd have these protest songs, but there's certain things you could say. Or even like uh, Bob Dylan's Jingle Jangle Morning, I yeah. can follow. Yeah, he's talking about his drug addiction. Yeah, yeah, Jingle yeah. Jangle Mornings, right? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Tambourine Man, that's his drug dealer. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't it sound nicer to say Tambourine Man tambourine, than hey, Mr. Yeah. Crack Man? Yeah, yeah. Which I, don't get me wrong, I love the, um, I love the NWA guys. stuff. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Mr. Dillman, like, yeah. you think you're slick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a super creative thing as well. I yeah. mean, I'm, NWA's first album, I think, was in, what, 86 or something. Yeah, I was right. 10 yeah. years, 88, I was 10 yeah. years old. It was a huge thing for me. Yeah. Because of the power and the generational gap there that my parents, you know, there's a big PTA meeting when I started totally. listening to this song. Oh, the, the, the uh, uh, caution label on the oh, tapes. Totally, uh, Tipper Gore I was like, was this involved in. stuff yeah. is powerful. Yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it felt like independence. It felt like freedom. Absolutely. That was the real freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, and it was like a, a, a creativity and in, in maybe in that, in that sort of unabashed cre- uh, freedom as well. But to get back to Dylan, so he had a protest song, and I always use this as an example of, um, you know, hard rain's going to fall, mm-hmm. right? It's all, it's all visual stuff he's talking about, um, you know, lest he really, you know, sort of criticizes government too heavily and not get any radio play. Yeah. Um, and he made hard rain's going to fall. I mean, this is fantastic, and it's going to be around forever. You could read the lyrics like poetry. And then there's, you know, sorry, Incubus, but then they did... Um, I don't even remember the name of the song, but they did a protest song to George Bush with the Iraq invasion. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and it was like, uh, hey Elvis, yeah, you are no fucking Jesus. Yeah. Right? And it's just like, he could like just directly attack the president and everything, which he has the complete right to do, sure. but it's just the song just fails. Yeah. It's just not. Doesn't have that nuance. Th- doesn't there have aren't that. really that many great protest Absolutely. songs of, of 2003 yeah. and four and five yeah. when, you know, we were sort of. Yeah. In this I still, I'm still surprised that there's, I mean, there's, you know, you're starting to see select more. I'm still surprised there's not more, especially this day and age right now. Yeah. You know? Um, in that vein, I mean, one thing that's addressed in this book, um, and I kind of want to know if it just stumbled upon it in that way, but you just, you, you address social inequality, class divide, um, you know, kind of in a fascinating way, meaning like the mother's struggling and sometimes she's, you know, selling um, or she's doing experiments and stuff like that yeah. for money. So There's she's also, a lab rat for money. She, she's, yeah, and then, um, you know, she has a good friend who's rich, so they get the, you know, you get to the class divide there. And then even the students experience it through their kind of all the different schools, uh, you know, getting together at camp where there's wealthy schools and less wealthy schools. Is that just something... Um, were you trying to make a, a pointed statement on that, or is it just something that, while telling the story about these people, it just that's part of it? No, I think that's just what falls out in the clash. That's I mean, what I thought a, too. Yeah. There's sort of a lot to be learned just from casual observation. Absolutely. I, you know, I don't. There are moralizers and there are moralists, and I I, I try to fall on the moralist side and not yeah. not moralize and explain and try to shame or yeah. do any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've always been fascinated with economic, like you know, class struggle, socioeconomic socioeconomic struggles and certainly race and religion I, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood in the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, I was like my I, in a, what you'd call today a very mixed neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was, you know, one of a. I was, it was the opposite. I was like a, a, a white person in a in a very you know black neighborhood, black and and South American neighborhood. Yeah. Um, uh, and obviously, you know, grew up Christian, but never really believing it. So mm -hmm. uh, between racial economics and 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 religion, I've, I've always had a real fascination for those things. And uh, because it's material that I sort of know and went through, it's 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 easy or interesting for me to write about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured it was just kind of you know what what these people were dealing with or something. And I'm, you know, that's something that I, I focus in on. So I didn't know yeah, how, sure. at the point. Um, did you, um, did you have any uh, apprehensions about starting your uh, novel with a chapter about embarrassing uh, erections? <laughs> did, anyone, did, did you, you know, mention anything or any pause? I thought that when I first read that mm -hmm. first chapter, I'm like, oh, it's kind of brave. Well, I, th I think it made sense to, that this was, I mean, this is, it's 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 everybody's driving sexuality is everybody's driving yeah. force anyway, um, and it's often comes out in awkward ways, and I mean you can almost, I mean Freud would you can almost look at everything through, you know a, a sexual lens, yeah. Um, yeah, and at and a lot of these characters do I mean, yeah he's also a seventeen year old yeah. telling a story about when he was thirteen yeah so I think it's like he can't help but sort of, you know, sort of. A, Everything that's awkward comes from your own awkward yeah. sexuality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, there's a lot, and there's a lot of awkward in here. There's a lot of embarrassment, and that's, I mean, that's. Well, there's a lot of shame. A lot of shame. Yeah. And I mean, a there's great shame. way to shame people. Mm -hmm. Look at Genesis and Exodus. Yeah. <laughs> First yeah. Two. A great way to shame people to is to is to shame their sexuality. Yeah. To shame what, you know, what is, uh, what, which really a, a, a natural urge. I mean. There's also that play between you know uh, nature and culture, right? I mean, nature, anything that's possible is possible. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as an unnatural act. Yeah. There's no such thing as being unnatural. Yeah, no doubt. Right? I yeah. mean, what? There are only rules against natural acts, yeah. and that's what you call culture. So when, totally. as soon as somebody says you can't do that, mm -hmm. well, then, it, but they they'll throw in you can't do that because it's not homosexuality is like ripe for this shit. People yeah. love moral moral acts. Absolutely, saying it's an unnatural act. Yeah. What's unnatural? What's, absolutely, you just opened your beer can with your teeth. Is that yeah. what your teeth were made for? <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. an unnatural? Yeah, act? who defines it? Who who no. who's, who gets to define that? And the fact that they are defining it in that way that's, you know, yeah. kind of taking away someone's rights or or. Yeah. You know who they are. It's very. You know what would be unnatural is if I could jump thirty feet in the air. That's, that's that would be unnatural. And guess what? There's no fucking laws against it. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Don't need any. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like it's it's the stuff that's like there there are forces. There's this natural. This is complete freedom. But there's also that sets up the uh, sort of you know nature versus freedom thing, which I think runs through all decent fiction. Yeah. Um, you know, people are like, well, like nature, you know, nature, nature, and things people mm -hmm. are natural and free, but nature and freedom are, are really separate yeah. things, right? I mm -hmm. mean, freedom is law. I mm -hmm. mean, that's really what it is. We're in the woods, yep. and I want your girl, your daughter, mm -hmm. if this was the Bible, I'd just take your daughter. It's kind of told me I could Bible, if I was one of the chosen ones. Bible's intense, man. Yeah, it's very intense. Yeah. Um, you know, I could just do whatever, whatever I want. That's... Yeah. That's, that's nature. Yeah. Well, freedom well, is like, I can do that to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Freedom is like the law that, that prevents me from hurting you. You know, my, mm -hmm. my freedom to swing my arms ends at the tip of your nose. Right? Yeah. And there's a law there that says I can't do it. And that's like the Constitution is freedom, you know. So, um, so there are sort of like cultural and obviously state laws. And there, there's all these compressions. And there's all these, your whole life seems to be like defined by all 
by everything that's unnatural, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the things that come to you naturally are always sources of shame for weird reasons. Yeah. Eating is a weird thing. When he gets, obviously, towards the end of the book, he's eating with these people, yeah. and he's yeah. high. Yeah. And he's like, he, he has that strange sort of... Um, you know, experience just with just with eating. Yeah. To him, it feels as unnatural because you know he's learning about in school the totally. digestive tract, the elementary connection. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's where the title, the title, yeah. the title kind of comes from. I also love. There's a um, good commentary about food, and one of my one of the lines um, I really enjoyed. Um, you know, because some of the camp uh, counselors were vegans. Vegans, yeah. Uh, but everyone talks about this is the line. Everyone talks about TVs where American culture goes and dies. I think it's the fridge just as much. And that was one of the Adam, I think the counselor Count, was saying. Adam yeah, said it, right. I love that. I mean, that's like, I mean, you think about the food system. I mean, that's just, I mean, I, yeah. because of what I think about a lot, I mean, I read into that line. I'm like, wow, that's deep. Yeah. You know, it's, that's really awesome. Um, I wanted to go, you know, again, with, with choices in writing, uh, he's 16, 17 at this point. I really wanted Adam to go much further. Did you know, like animal rights and ethics yeah. and all this kind of stuff. He had like, some good be, rants. It would be just lost on it. So, exactly. I want to preserve the rant yep. so you get the emotion of the rant without Absolutely. getting too much into the ethics of veganism. Yeah. And just sort of kept it in a way where Larry would be able to understand and report back. Because at the end of the day, this is his report on something that happened. Yeah. This is the explanation for something that happened. This Absolutely. is his excuse. This book is his excuse and his explanation. Yeah. Maybe not so much an ex- excuse, but it is an explanation of this thing that happened. And you find out what the hell that thing is on literally the very last page. Can I get you to read just a little bit of Adam? Oh, okay. it's, um, this is him, right? This is um, talking about the. Uh, it's um, between these two things. It's, it's way more embarrassing. This is the. I think it's. This is about being a leader. Is that Adam? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Do you yeah. mind just going there? It's real sure. Quick. From it's here to here. Yeah. Absolutely. I love this part. <clears throat> so this is about Adam, but it's it's Larry, obviously, and he says. Uh, it's way more embarrassing to be to be wrong when you're in a group than when it's just you and another person. I think I'd rather be shot in the arm than answer wrong in front of strangers. That's what it takes to be a leader, knowing the answers and not getting nervous, or just, a little, or just knowing a little more than everyone else, or even just pretending to know. I wasn't sure if Adam was right about evolution, if the only difference between me and an orangutan was that my brain grew big and his arms grew long because the gene told him to, that it's called heterochronic growth. Adam said the word like a spell, heterochronic, and everybody knew he was the leader. He could have made it up, but would you challenge a word like that? Hell no. He was the leader, and it was as good as being a celebrity. Everybody stared at him, stared at him, listened and worshipped everything he said. Margaret hated him, obviously, but the rest of the group, they started kissing his ass after he finally told us what kind of selection made mice small and ape, lo- <laughs> ape arms long and human brains big. Guys, it's called natural selection, he said. Oh yeah, I knew that, the group babbled. At the gardens, in the beginning, I was excited about the hikes in the woods. It was supposed to be a vacation, kind of. When we saw the turkey, Adam, Adam talked about sex. That was fun. He was tricky in the beginning. Not tricky, subtle. He was cool. It was easy to be into it, into what he was saying. But now, miles up a mountain, all I wanted to do was drop in the dirt and not do anything because I was tired. Listening to Adam pop a boner over evolution turned the hike into something worse than school. It's probably what college is like. Yeah, I mean, you were, I love that. You were, um, you were mentioning shame. We were talking about shame and how there's a lot of shame in the book. I mean, right there, he wouldn't even want to answer the question. No, um, God forbid he's wrong. Yeah, God forbid he's wrong. Um, uh, also discussed a lot in this book, um, and I just I, I find it very poignant, especially these days. But the, the hypocrisy of um, boys and girls and sexuality and what they both kind of go up with, which is great, because I mean, you are talking um, from the point of view of a, of a young man, but I mean, it, it is pointed out, and 
multiple times, like what they deal with, how, how it's bullshit. Sure. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, I think, oh, especially at the time that, that this is taking place. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they sort of do it to themselves, don't they? I mean, yeah. they, you know, you boys at that age, probably because of the, the odd tension that's happening between 13-year-old girls and boys, mm-hmm. they sort of separate themselves and avoid it. Yeah. Um, you ever see those videos of people walking into an elevator and everybody's facing the back? No. So the guy walk, you know, a guy will walk like in and he just like turns and faces the back yeah. as well. I mean, it, you, you're conditioned to, to be like everybody That was the else. reaction? Yeah, that's yeah. the reaction. Yeah, well. um, <laughs> it, I mean, it makes sense like in, in, you know, in a very, like somewhere deep in the brain that, that, that being like everybody else and doing what everybody else is doing is going to save your life. Yeah. Right? I mean, um, and then if you add the, the cultural conditioning on top of that, that you're different, there's things mm-hmm. to be ashamed of. I mean, it just makes it so much easier and unconscious to just sort of, you know, follow the crap. Yeah, I thought it was um, uh, pretty poignant when, like, the two boys were conscious of um, how much they would get shamed. They're like, you have to get the girls at a certain point, like, when they've already had sex or some sort of sexual relationship. Oh, be- sure, But yeah, before yeah. they, you know, right, are completely right. shamed away from wanting to do it right. more because they're termed sluts and everything like that. And that's, it's it's wild. I mean, it's, you know what, it's, uh, I, I kept, you know, going back to this in my mind when I was reading it. It's tough being a kid. It, it is, is tough being a kid, tough being sure. Kid. There's a I, lot I, you've got to go through. I don't, um, I, for, I forget who said it, if it was Evelyn Waugh or, or Flannery O'Connor. It might have been Flannery O'Connor who said anybody who's survived childhood has enough material to write for the rest of their life. That makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. I think it goes back to what I was saying about mistakes mm-hmm. and being it's so easy to create tension yeah. and to misunderstand yep. people. I, I, wrote, I mean, even just wrote this short story, so I'm doing this collaboration with Chris. Can't yeah, I want to get to that. Let's do it. Let's but do there's, it. Um, there's a line where the, 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 the main character is... So this is the last story I wrote. He So wait, this book between... Uh, I'm going to get you right back to the... Sure. This is you and Chris Campagnoni are doing a book of short stories together? Yes. Interweaving? Like, just like... Yeah, so we're, we're, we're bouncing... He, he wrote a poem. Okay. I wrote a short story that was in response. Great. He wrote That's, a short story and his you know, awesome. sort of typical philosophical Chris Campagnoni yeah. way. Yeah. Right? Uh, very distinct. Yeah. Wrote it back to He's me. He's such a great writer. Yeah, and then yeah. I just write these yeah, short stories. Yeah. Short stories. Awesome. We've, been, we've been going back and forth. And we're going to do a, you know, it's probably going to be a chat book. Yep. Um, but in this most recent one, there's this guy and he's talking about the world of ideas. He's mm-hmm. sitting at his window and he's drinking a beer and then he goes into the park and he has like this revelation. He's got an idea and he runs and he, he talks about how often he gets ideas and how they, how they come and how they form. Yeah. And when he gets this one, it's fully formed. And so he runs to this nearby Starbucks on St. Mark's uh-huh. Square, on a, sorry, um, uh, St. Mark's Square, uh, uh, Tompkins Square. Yeah. And he talks to this producer, who's a producer at a television show that he knows is always there, the bastard, right? And he runs in, and he tells him about this crazy fucking idea that he has. It's kind of wild, and it deals a little bit with, like, veganism and, yeah. and ethics and all that kind of stuff, but I don't, I never push the point. It's all buried, right? Yeah. And um, so he has this back and forth with the producer, and finally the producer, like, he's talking about this idea. He's got, finally the producer, you can tell that he has this history with looks at him. He goes, how many have you had today? And... <laughs> The character goes, well, this is the first one. I just, like, it just came out of the park. I just saw this happen. He goes, I mean, drinks. <laughs> How many drinks have you had? And it's just a nice sort of, like, but that's what the whole, that's what propels all stories along. Yeah. Is misinformation, misunderstanding. Yeah. That creates, and that's how stories move forward. Yeah. Otherwise, they're instructions. 
Yep. Otherwise, you're, ah. putting, you're, you're installing a fucking air conditioner. Absolutely. Right? And that's the challenge in writing in third person, so, which is what I'm... What you're, what you're dealing with. So, so that's... You are working on your next novel. You have a name for it. It's Recess for Idiots. Recess for Idiots. Can you tell Idiots us a little bit about it? What's it um, yeah. How far along are you? I'm, I don't know. I think I'm two-thirds of the way, but Great. I'm 80... I just... I just... I just deleted 7,000 words yesterday. Oh, wow. So I'm down again to 81,000 words. But I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, I think I know finally where it's heading. I know how oh, it began. I know yeah. where it ended. I know what it's about. But yeah. it's like that middle part. What's it about? That, yeah, you know, you're <laughs> trying to get to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, lots of, uh, it's similar to a diet of worms and there's lots of little stories. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think it makes sense. So the main character really is addiction. Mm-hmm. And the book is written sort of not by anybody but b- just by a point of view okay. and it would be an, ad- an, an, an addicted point of view okay so the thir- so it, it relies a lot on on um, I guess what I would call like narrative hijacking mm-hmm. oh well, I don't know if that, that's a thing that's a, but like I'll, I'll be telling a story so the, the narrator whoever, whoever's telling the story is telling the story about a person say it's a, say it's a guy named Dan mm-hmm. And he's telling a story about Dan, and it's like Dan's voice will just start to bubble up and bubble up, and then eventually Dan's just telling the damn story. Oh wow! So he sort of hijacks a narrative, but it's still in the same like the same sort of tone. I don't know if I've seen those sort of segues like that. That's is that yeah. The, I don't. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, and and I, I I don't think there's anything new under the sun. I yeah, wish yeah, yeah, that yeah. I could go and and find more instances of this so mm-hmm. that I can go and read it and just fucking steal it. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, no, no matter like what Frank you see... <laughs> yeah, no, no seriously. Nothing nobody else Absolutely. Come on, and, there's been a lot of us. Yeah, I'm not actually stealing a tangible good. I'm not yeah. stealing your car. Yeah. I'm not coming and taking your car and driving. And do, I'm just Absolutely. taking ideas and, and it's, it's not going like to be it, my it's own. It's not like it's one way. person's idea either. No. These are ideas that are in the ether that, that right. people use. Yeah. It's more like stealing the idea of your car. Yeah, oh, I yeah. want a red one too. Yeah. I want the wheels to be twenty-two. Whatever it is, yeah, I want yeah. that blower coming out the front. I yeah. want it to say SS on the back. I want yeah. it to sound like a like the world's coming to an end. Yeah. You know, that yeah. type of thing. Well, that's awesome, man. I can't. I really, really can't wait for it. Um, this book, Died of Worms, was it's, it really affected me. It was super relatable. I mean, it was down to like the belt, uh, the father's belt, the um, BMX pegs, all the embarrassment camp. It was like it was like hidden home, and it just it's. It's kind of like, um, you know, even though it was set in modern times, it felt like a time, timeless um, you know, American work. And that's, that's to your credit. So that's awesome. Thank um, you. Thank you for coming on. I'm, I'm, really like, oh, I'm, dude, hoping, I'm hoping you'll come back when uh, Recess for Idiots is uh, released because I'd like to dive into that and, and then uh, Recess discuss for Idiots. Ho- hopefully, hopefully, by next, hopefully by next year. That might be a bit ambitious. Yeah. Um, I wrote this book in uh, Diet of Worms. I wrote in maybe three months. Are you serious? Yeah, and I kind of thought like, ah, you write books. Yeah, like this is what I do. I write books in three months. Kerouac wrote on the road in six weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, How long has it been with this one already? This one's been a year and a half now. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm like four years left. (laughs) Totally. I mean, they're they're all going to come in different ways. Hopefully, yeah. But I I think this, yeah, this one has been a real sort of uh, ego, not an ego check, but a reality check, you know? Yeah, awesome. Well, I want to have you back to talk about it when you get there. And I thank you again for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. This podcast is in the loop, the legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.
Podcast.